17 in Psalm 50, if you can. Matthew 17 in Psalm 50. I started thinking about my Sunday school teachers. How many of you remember Mrs. Morrison? Mrs. Morrison, just a sweet lady. She had no clue the influence she'd have on my life as a, as a six and seven year old boy. Just crazy, crazy to think about how the years have flown by. I was talking to Noah because he just got home from camp and I asked him if he stayed in the new dorms. He's like, I don't know, are there new dorms? And I don't. I was like, I don't know. Like six years ago, when I was there, they made them new. And Sasha was like, It was six years ago. You were in college. What are you took? And I was like, Oh my goodness, getting old. Um, but the time just flies. Psalms fifty. We're gonna look at a, a, a lot of uh, scripture tonight. I hope that's okay. Um, <clears throat> hopefully, in the church, it's okay to look at, at a lot of the Bible. I was uh, calling on a guy this week, and he had a kind of an interesting email. Um, about prison. And I said, how'd you get, you know, I was asking, how'd you get this email? And he said, well, I used to work in the in the prisons in Jackson and we uh, preach in there. And I was like, oh, you know, it starts a long little rabbit trail there. Um, but he's he's working on a book and he wrote a book on eschatology and he submitted it to the publisher um, to review and possibly publish it. But they sent it back to him and they told him that it had too many verses in it. And so they wouldn't publish it. So, I mean, I guess that's where we're where we're at today, but just kind of want to um, review some things with you and give you some good context um, as far as what we're looking at. Matthew 17, uh, Jesus is going to give this revelation to three of the disciples about his kingdom. Let's open up in prayer really quick. Just dear Lord, please help us tonight to magnify your word. We praise and thank you for this church and your word, and we just pray that you speak to our hearts in Jesus' name. Amen. So why did the Jews, why did the Jews reject this kingdom? We talked a little bit about it last week. They thought it was going to be a political kingdom. They thought their Messiah was going to come in and just Forced the kingdom upon the Gentile nations. What they didn't realize was he created an offer to them, right? As a humble, um, humble boy born in Nazareth, carpenter's son, prevented an offer of the kingdom as their Messiah. Um, from his genealogy, he had a right to the throne, every right that any other king had to that Davidic throne. Um, but they were offended, said so they were offended at him, and so they rejected that. So in Psalm 50, it kind of gives us an idea, right? That you you really gotta if you want to learn the Bible. It really helps to look at it through the eyes of a Jew. You got to read all the passages through the eyes of a Jew. And it really just kind of, in light of Matthew, I've been going through Isaiah and Zechariah and reading some of these prophets, and, it, and it's just amazing when you when you think of it from the perspective of, of the Jewish people, how prophetic these things are and how many things you can pull out. So Psalms 50, it says, The mighty God, even the Lord, hath spoken and called the earth from the rising of the sun unto the going down thereof. Out of Zion... The perfection of beauty God hath shined. Our God shall come and shall not keep silence. A fire shall devour before him, and it shall be very temptuous round about him. Now we understand in the first advent, right, Christ did not come with this fire, right? Christ did not come in this manner. Verse 4, he shall call to the heavens from above and to the earth that he may judge his people. Gather my saints together unto me, those that have made a covenant with me by sacrifice. And the heaven shall declare his righteousness, for God is judge himself, Siva. Hear, O my people, and I will speak. O Israel, and I will testify against thee. I am God, even thy God. I will not reprove thee. For thy sacrifices or thy burnt offerings to have been continually before me. I will take no bullock out of thy house, nor he goats out of thy fold. For every beast of the forest is mine, and the cattle upon a thousand hills. I know all the fowls of the mountains and the wild beasts of the field are mine. If I were hungry, I would tell thee. I would not tell thee, for the world is mine in the fullness thereof. Will I eat the flesh of bulls or drink the blood of goats? Offer unto God thanksgiving and pay thy vows unto the Most High. And call upon me in the day 
of trouble. You know, the Jews are going to do that one day. They're going to call upon him in the day of trouble. I will deliver thee, and thou shalt glorify me. But unto the wicked God saith, now this is the key, verse 16 is the key, but unto the wicked God saith, what hast thou to do to declare my statutes, or that thou shouldst take my covenant in thy mouth? You know, God made a, made a multiple covenants with Israel. And you understand that the Israelites, they would take these covenants and they would think that just because of their lineage, just because of their connection to a tribe, that they somehow would partake in the blessings of this covenant. And God says, what right do you have to take this? Do you not understand that these are spiritual, spiritual covenants, right? The, the, the Jews who thought that because they were children of Abraham, they had access to these things. And God was like, no way, right? This is about the heart. I need to put my law in your heart. I need to establish a new covenant with you. You need to turn unto me. You need to realize exactly who I am. And they're coming to, God's coming to this people and they, they, they're taking these covenants and they're just sitting on these covenants, kind of like Baptists do, right? I'm eternally secure, so I don't got to move, right? We're the frozen chosen, amen? It, it, it inhibits you sometimes. And this, that's exactly what they were doing. That's exactly what they, what they couldn't see. You see, Judaism, if you, if you study Judaism, they took this law and they glorified themselves and they, and, and they kind of got this national pride that was not healthy. And they looked down upon other nations, right? They looked down upon the Samaritans and looked down upon the Gentiles who were unclean because they were commanded to in a sense. But the Jewish religion... It, it was kind of negative. You know, I think a, a lot about the Jewish religion in, in comparison to Islam, and I know that's kind of dangerous, but it's, they're, they're both very practical, negative religions in that sense, right? The Jews hold on to the Old Testament law in, in the Talmud, all those additional laws, and in, in the, the Muslims have the Quran as well as the, the Hadith, which is all those additions of all those laws that they have, and it's all negative in a sense. Thou shalt not, thou shalt not, thou shalt not, thou shalt not. Right, the Sabbath. Don't wipe a wound. If your jar breaks and there's water coming out of it, you can't stop it because that might be labor. Right? It's all negative. They don't know how to create righteousness. They only know how to abstain from sin. And it was very negative. They, they didn't know how to approach Christ who, who preached this repentance-like theology and this true righteousness. They, they, they were so far removed from it, they didn't understand it. It's just like Muslims and, and, and the woman who wear the hijab and the, the whole... The whole responsibility is removed from the man in regards to his lust, and it's all put on the woman who's the object of the lust. So if there's ever fornication, it's not the man's fault, but it's the woman because of the responsibility she has to cover the body, which in a sense is true, but the man still has a responsibility to guard his heart. And so both, all these, these, these religions that hold on so hard to this version of a law, when it comes to actual true righteousness, they have no idea how to attain it. And that's what Christ brought. That was, that was what he brought in his kingdom. Go back with me to Matthew chapter uh, 17 here, Matthew 17. It would have been an amazing sight to see. I'm super jealous of the three disciples. In uh, verse 1, and after six days, Jesus taketh Peter, James, and John, his brother, and bringeth them up into a high mountain apart, and was transfigured before them. And his face did shine as the sun, and his raiment was white as the light. And behold, there appeared unto him Moses and Elias, talking with him. Now, don't don't kind of jump over those words, right? Christ. I mean, imagine walking up this mountain. He tells all the rest of the disciples to stay at the bottom, and they, they ascend with Christ, and then all of a sudden, right, he tra he's transfigured before him. And his face, in that veil, that curtain of his flesh is removed, right? He didn't surrender his glory when he came to earth. He just veiled it. A lot of people think that he surrendered it from heaven, but no, it was just veiled, and he revealed it to these three disciples, and he showed them 
his how he's actually going to look when he comes back in his kingdom. He gives them a little snapshot, right? A little picture of what it's going to look like. And they're absolutely amazed by this. And if you think about this kingdom, you know, we kind of talked about it um, last week, but there's so many things that are riding on this kingdom to come to pass, right? They only caught a snippet of it, but the, the, the kingdom has to be established one day. And we know by some of the scripture we're going to look at tonight that it has not been enforced yet. There's no way that it has been enforced, right? We're still waiting on this to come to pass. Now we looked at, um, you know, Schofield has some really good notes upon what this kind of represents, right? As far as the kingdom, you have the transfigured Christ. When Christ comes back, he's going to be transfigured and the whole world's going to see him, right? He's, he's going to come back on that white horse and he's going to defeat all the Gentile nations. He's the stone that's cut out without hands. So you see the transfigured Christ, number one. You also see, like we said, Moses, who represents the saints who have died through the tribulation period, resurrected, and they have fellowship with Christ, right? Moses died, okay? And he was resurrected. He's there. Then, like we said before, you have Elijah, who, who represents those who are translated into God's kingdom, us, right? Who are raptured out of our, our mortal flesh. We put on that incorruption. We're going to be there in his kingdom. Then you have, then you have the three Jewish disciples in the flesh, not transfigured. Because in Christ's millennial kingdom, there's going to be those Jews, that remnant of those Jews that make it through, and they are going to abide in the flesh in God's holy mount. But then you also have the disciples that are at the bottom of the mount, that holy mount of Zion. They represent all the nations who are going to come to this, this place of Jerusalem during God's millennial reign to obtain the blessings of Israel at that time. So you have this, every, everything is into place. This is a solid picture of exactly how it's going to be. And it's absolutely amazing, right? To just give you an idea of the multitude at the foot of the mountain, hold your place in Matthew, but go to Isaiah chapter 2. Isaiah chapter 2. If you start reading the Bible, especially from the Old Testament context, you start falling in love with the area of Palestine, right? Because that's God's chosen place. That's God's chosen place. He's going to set up his kingdom in Jerusalem. And the word of God is going to proceed out of Jerusalem, right? All the nations during the tribulation, right? We are, we are a nation under God right now. But when the church is raptured out, we're, the, all the nations are going to turn. What did, what did Christ say in Matthew 24? He's talking to the disciples in reference to the Jews. He said, you shall be hated of by all nations for my sake. That includes America. It's going to be a terrible time. And in Isaiah chapter 2, it says the word, in verse 1, the word that Isaiah the son of Amos saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. And it shall come to pass in the last days that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established in the top of the mountains and shall be exalted above the hills and all nations shall flow unto it. And many people shall go and say, come ye and let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, and he will teach us of his ways. And we will walk in his paths, for out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. You're seeing a picture of this in Matthew 17, right? All of this, all of this, these, these things have, have come to a connect here. And, and Peter, James, and John are actually getting to experience this, this little, who knows how long it actually lasted for, but they're going to see a snippet of it. Now, we understand the importance of this thing actually coming to pass in the millennial kingdom because like we talked about before, and this is going to be a review, you guys probably already know this, but the covenants, right? God made four covenants with Israel. You have the Abrahamic, the Davidic, the Palestinian, as well as the new covenant that he's going to establish with Israel, and none of them have fully come to pass. And we understand if we look at prophecy and you watch the Jews, these things have to come to pass. And it's, it's exciting as a Christian. Right? Because we get blessed with the fact that we're just going to get out of here anyway. Right? 
And so it's kind of like, it, it's awesome to see, especially from Scripture's point of view. But number one, the, the Abrahamic covenant has to come to pass. That's why it's so important for this Matthew 17 to come to play. Go with me to uh, Genesis chapter 12. Hold your place in Matthew. Genesis chapter 12. Again, you've read all these so many times before, but I just want to put you in remembrance of these things tonight. Genesis chapter 12. Verse 1, now the Lord had said unto Abram, get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred and from thy father's house unto a land that I will shew thee. And I will make of thee a great nation. Right? The, the nation of Israel has been great. There's been no other nation like it. Right? It survived tremendous persecution, but it's not a great nation yet. I will make of thee a great nation and I will bless thee and I will make thy name great. Your name's going to be great. Right? Nowadays you talk about Jews, people think that they're just nasty lawyers and and bad businessmen, right? I'm going to make your name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. And I will bless them that bless thee, and curse him that curseth thee, and in thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. Now we all, you know, I, I truly believe that America has been blessed by our relationship with Israel, but during the millennial kingdom, other nations are going to be blessed if they bless Israel, and God is going to violently destroy them should they not. That's literally going to come to fruition, right? If you turn with me to Zechariah, Go to Zechariah. You're still holding your place in Matthew, but Zechariah chapter 14. Zechariah 14 and verse 12. Zechariah 14 verse 12. And men shall dwell in it, and there shall be no more utter destruction. But Jerusalem shall be safely inhabited. Is Jerusalem safely inhabited today? Not even close. You look at Gaza, you look at the Gaza Strip, you look at places in Palestine, all those areas, constant fighting. I have clients who came over from Lebanon. It's so interesting to, to, to ask them questions. They're like, Tyler, it was terrible over there, terrible over there. They're still fighting to this day over the holy places. But during this time, it's going to be safely inhabited. And this shall be the plague wherewith the Lord will smite all the people that have fought against Jerusalem. Their flesh shall consume away while they stand upon their feet, and their eyes shall consume away in their holes, and their tongue shall consume away in their mouth. That does not sound like a pleasant experience. And it shall come to pass in that day that a great tumult from the Lord shall be among them, and they shall lay hold every one on the hand of his neighbor, and his hand shall rise up against the hand of his neighbor. And Judah also shall fight at Jerusalem. Right In that day, in the millennial kingdom, all the Jews are going to be assembled in Jerusalem. And the nations that that fight against them, God's going to literally destroy, right? This has not come to fruition yet, though, so this has to happen. And God also says in Genesis, when he's talking to Abraham, that through you, all nations are going to be blessed. We've already read of it in Isaiah 2, but all the Gentile nations, they're going to come to Jerusalem because they're going to look at these Jewish people in an exalted manner as the true people of the Lord, and they're going to ask the Jews to teach them the ways of the Lord. All the Gentile nations are going to be blessed by Right, Acts 15, we don't have time to talk about it, but Acts 15, James alludes to this at the Apostolic Assembly. When they're talking about, should we let the Gentiles into the church? He goes, look, all the prophets agree that the Gentiles are going to take part in this kingdom as well. Right, They're going to take part in this blessing as well. So this Abraham covenant is still in force. God has promised it, but it hasn't come to fruition. What about the Davidic? Right, We talked about the Davidic last week. God promised David that out of his loins was going to come a king who was going to sit on his throne, and he was going to rule, and, and rule in that kingdom forever, right? He says, look, if, you, if, if your line disobeys me, I'm going to chastise them, right? But my mercy is not going to depart from your house. Go with me to um, Psalms 89. Psalms 89. In verse 30. 
Psalms 89.30, If his children forsake my law, talking about David's house, and walk not in my judgments, if they break my statutes and keep not my commandments, then will I visit their transgression with the rod and their iniquity with stripes. Nevertheless, my loving kindness will I not utterly take from him, nor suffer my faithfulness to fail. My covenant will I not break, nor alter the thing that has gone out of my lips. Once I have sworn by my holiness that I will not lie unto David, his seed shall endure forever in his throne as the sun before me. Now go to Acts 2.29. Now Acts 2.29, Peter confirms this, right? We understand that in the Old Testament, those two kingdoms were divided, right? And Israel forsook the house of David. They didn't want any kind of part of it. Those 10 northern tribes, they broke off from the two southern tribes. And each, and each kind of went their own way. And we understand that the northern tribes were desperately wicked, filled with idolatry. And they went into captivity first, right? But through Judah's line, through that southern kingdom, they had a couple good kings. But through David's line, they went through Judah. Man, there was a lot of wickedness, right? You had Josiah, but then Josiah had three sons who were wicked. Jehoiakim, right, was the grandson. Jehoiakim, Jehoiaz, and Zedekiah. And they were all wicked in the sight of the Lord. And God visited them with chastisement by sending a guy by the name of Nebuchadnezzar, right, who took them all out of Jerusalem into captivity. God disciplined his line. But God hasn't forsaken his covenant. That which goes out of the Lord's lips, he's not going to forsake, right? And so God promised that a king would inhabit Jerusalem again, and he did. He was born of a virgin, right? But instead of giving him a crown of gold, they gave him a crown of thorns. And since that day, there hasn't been a king out of David's line to sit upon that throne, but there's going to be one day. And that's going to be the Lord Jesus Christ who's going to come back. Now you're in Acts 2.29. Acts 2.29, Peter stands up, and he gives this, this huge sermon specifically to these Jews who had just crucified their Messiah in Acts 2.29. It says, Men and brethren, let me freely speak unto you of the patriarch David, that he is both dead and buried, and his sepulcher is with us until this day. Therefore, being a prophet, and knowing that God has sworn with an oath to him, that of the fruit of his loins according to the flesh, he would raise up Christ to sit on his throne. He, seeing this before, spake of the resurrection of Christ, that his soul was not left in hell, neither did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus hath God raised up whereof we are all witnesses, right? Peter's like, I saw the transfigured Christ, guys. Trust me, I'm a witness. Therefore, being exalted by the right hand of God and having received of the Father the promise of the Holy Ghost, he hath shed forth this, which ye now see and hear. For David is not ascended into the heavens, but he saith unto him, The Lord said unto my Lord, Sit thou on my right hand until I make thy foes thy footstool. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made that same Jesus whom ye have crucified both Lord and Christ, Peter Pocket right there, right? He, that is that is that gives me great assurance to know that in in the midst of America that is falling before us, my Savior is on His throne and He's just waiting. And when He comes back, He's going to get me. I'm going to meet Him in the air and I'm going to ever be with Him. But we're going to come back and rule and reign on earth with Him one day. It's going to be absolutely amazing, right? And so this Davidic this Davidic throne has to come to pass, and, and Christ is going to be the one that's going to sit on that, right? Now think about what Peter just said though. He said, this which ye both see and hear. What did they see and hear? They saw the, the Jewish apostles speaking in tongues because they had been baptized by the Holy Ghost. What did John the Baptist say? He said, who hath warned you to flee from the wrath that come, right? He said, there's going to be a guy that's going to come after me. He's going to be the Messiah. He's going to baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. All these Christian contemporaries that are praying for fire, I'm like, y'all are crazy. Why are you praying for that? 
I don't want God to put fire on me, right? But if you think about this, Peter is talking about the delayed kingdom. John the Baptist was right about the Holy Ghost coming first, but the fire is going to wait a tap, right? But the second time that Jesus Christ comes, he's not going to just come in the, in, the, in the power of the Holy Ghost. He's going to come with fire upon the Gentile nations. So number one, the Abrahamic covenant hasn't come to pass, and God, God, God has to establish that. Number two, the Davidic covenant has to come to pass in this kingdom that Peter and James and John are seeing. That has to come to, come to pass. But number three, the Palestinian covenant. In Genesis chapter 13, we won't turn to it for sake of time, but God, after you know Lot chooses his part of that land, God looks at Abraham and he goes, see all this land in front of you? He goes, I'm going to give it to you and your seed, your seed, and it's going to be an everlasting possession. And out of your seed, it's going, to be, it's going to be as much as the dust of the earth. See, Abraham had two seeds. He had a seed that was going to be as much as the dust of the earth, but he also had a seed that was going to be compared to the stars of heaven. That's his spiritual seed. But he also has his physical seed, who God says, I'm going to give you that land of Palestine forever, forever. That has not come to pass yet, right? But one day it will. Turn with me to Ezekiel, Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 22. Ezekiel 36, verse 22. Therefore, say unto the house of Israel, Thus saith the Lord God, I, did, I do not this for your sakes, O house of Israel, but for mine holy name's sake, which ye have profaned among the heathen, whither ye went. Right? He's like, you Jews have the Gentiles blasphemed my name because of you. And I will sanctify my great name, which was profaned among the heathen, which ye have profaned in the midst of them. And the heathen shall know that I am the Lord, saith the Lord God, when I shall be sanctified in you before their eyes, right? When Israel gets a new heart and they look on him whom they have pierced and they realize who their Messiah was and they're sanctified in Christ, right? They're going to be a testimony to the world. And in verse 24, for I will take you from among the heathen and gather you out of all countries and will bring you into your own land. That's Jerusalem. That has not come to pass yet, right? When Ezra and all of them came back, they were still under Gentile dominion. The Jews have not freely possess Palestine. But one day they will, right? One day they will. So that has to come to pass. The last one is the new covenant, which you're very familiar with. Go to Romans chapter 11. Romans chapter 11. I'm going to start having you guys stand and shout out the verse. I'm going to throw candy at you just like the kids, amen? Some Bible drills. Romans chapter 11, 25. Now this is Paul. Now it's important that Paul talks about this covenant because if not, there'd be, there'd be those who try to blend the church in Israel because it's really easy to unless you have distinction. So in Romans eleven twenty five, for I would not, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery, lest ye should be wise in your own conceits that blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles come in. And so all Israel shall be saved, as it is written, there shall come out of Zion the deliverer, and shall turn away ungodliness from Jacob. For this is my covenant unto them, when I shall take away their sins. In con- now listen to what Paul says, right? This is important. In concerning the gospel. They are enemies for your sakes, right? They're persecuting you. They're spying out the liberty that you have in Christ, right? They're telling you that you have to be circumcised to be saved. They're persecuting you. But he says, but as touching the election, they are beloved for the Father's sake, right? What is Paul saying? God made promises to them as a seed. So although they persecute us as Christians and it's tough, God still made promises to that nation that he has to fulfill. And in verse 29, for the gifts and calling of God are without repentance. When God makes a covenant, it's going to come to pass, right? That has to happen. Israel as a nation has not turned to Christ, right? Go with me to, go with me to Zechariah chapter 12. 
Zechariah chapter 12. Zechariah is full of this stuff. It's amazing. Zechariah chapter 12 in verse 10. And I will pour out upon the house of David and upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and of supplications. And they shall look upon me whom they have pierced. And they shall mourn for him as one mourneth for his only son and shall be in bitterness for him as one that is in bitterness for his firstborn. Right, when Christ comes back, they're finally going to look on their Messiah and realize what they have done. And as a nation, they are going to conglomerately turn back to Christ, that, that last remnant that makes it through the tribulation. If you turn back just a page to chapter 8, verse 23, this is crazy right here. Chapter 8, verse 23 says, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, In those days it shall come to pass that ten men shall take hold out of all the languages of the nations, even shall take hold of the spirit of him that is a Jew, saying, We will go with you, for we have heard that God is with you. Isn't that amazing? The millennial kingdom, there's going to be Gentiles who are going to flock to these Jews who are once hated, and they're going to ask to be joined in their Bible study, right? Teach us about this God in the Holy Mount of Zion. It's going to be absolutely insane. So in this vision in Matthew 17 that you're seeing, this snapshot of the kingdom, all these things are connected to that vision and they have to come to pass, right? So especially to the Jews, as, as Peter said, look, the Lord is not slack concerning his promise because some people were doubting that he was coming back, but he says he's just long suffering to us where not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance, right? That's what he's talking about there, but these things have to come to pass. Now in closing, I just want to give you some, some views about the blessings that are going to inhabit this kingdom that Peter, James, and John are seeing. Right? Some blessings that have to come to pass. And, and you think about this millennial kingdom, you know, number one, like we've already talked about, the whole world's going to be blessed by Christ. The whole world's going to come to him in that day in, in Mount Zion. And they're going to realize who he was, even the Gentiles. It's going to be a warless earth. Right? God says the nations, they're going to beat their, their swords into plowshares. Right? There's going to be no more war. God's going to shut that whole thing down. There's just going to be peace during the millennial kingdom. Poverty is going to be abolished. God says, my people are not going to labor in vain. They're not going to leave their fields, their farm fields to another, another people, right? They're going to grow, they're going to plant, and there's not going to be this form of poverty, right? It's also going to be a changed condition of lower creation, right? The wolf's going to lie down with the lamb, and the little kids are going to be able to lay on the hole of a snake and not get bit, right? It's absolutely amazing. Us and the kids have been going through Daniel. And a lot of people think Daniel is just this book that has a bunch of kids' stories in it, right? But it, Daniel is completely prophetic about all this stuff, and it's insane, right? The fiery furnace, you think about the fiery furnace, right? You have these, these, three, these three Jews that are separated from Jerusalem, right? This is, it's just a small remnant of these Jews from the captivity of Babylon, right? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And they come before Nebuchadnezzar, who's the world power leader, Antichrist, Right? And he says, bow down to my image or I'm going to throw you in the fiery furnace. They said, no way. Right? They said, our God is able to deliver us. And if he's not, we're cool with that. Right? So he puts him in the fiery furnace. He's going to try him for that time. Right? But they're, they're, they're all in there and they got their hats and they got their jackets and they got their tie and their, and their um, not, not their cowboy boots because that wouldn't be scriptural. Right? They got their, their shoes on in there. And Nebuchadnezzar is looking in there and he goes, Do, you just threw three guys in there. Right? But there was a fourth one in there. One like the Son of Man, that was Christ, right? Because during the last tail end of the tribulation, two-thirds of the Jews are going to die, but there's going to be a remnant who Christ is going to take through to the end. And when all the Gentile nations are assembled against him, 
Christ is going to come back and he's going to save them and they're going to be untouched, right? That's what that means. You, we talked about Daniel and the lion's den this morning, right? Oh, that's just a kid's story. No, it's not, right? Daniel, you remember the, the he, he's with all the other princes under King Darius. And Darius issues that decree, right? They're like, King, we have a good idea. How about anybody that prays to any other God other than you, right? In the next 30 days, he's going to get thrown into the lion's den. Right? And, and Daniel hears about it, but he doesn't care. He opens up his window and he kneels towards Jerusalem. And you know what he's praying for? He's like, God, get me out of this captivity, right? Come back. And he's praying there and they, and they catch him doing it. So what do they do? They throw him in the lion's den, right? A world power throwing a Jew into the lion's den. But the, the, the lions don't touch him. Why not? Because it's a picture of the millennial kingdom. He, Daniel, as a Jew, in his obedience to Christ, Right, partook in the blessings of that millennial reign of God when Christ comes to earth and he changes creation where even the wild beasts don't touch us. Right, All these things are in there, and they're all going to come to pass one day. Praise God. And, and you think about this, so change lower conditions of the earth. Death is no longer going to be prevalent but inflicted. Right, We don't have time, but if you want to mark down Isaiah uh, 65, it's going to go back to the time period in the, in the Old Testament when people lived a couple hundred years, right? And, and death is going to be either a blessing or a curse. Those who are, are, are sinful, their, their time is going to be cut short. It says a child is going to live 100 years, but a man that dies 100 years, right, it's because of his sin. So it's going to change the way we even live, right? The presence of God does that. It's going to be a righteous kingdom, right? That Sermon on the Mount that Jesus preached back as a, as a humble servant, that's going to be law, right? And God says the meek, only the meek are going to inherit the earth. Right? In the, in, in the pure of heart, in the peacemakers. Why peacemakers? Because there ain't going to be no war. Right? The Sermon on the Mount is going to be instituted. It's going to be a righteous kingdom where God is going to execute. Right? There's going to be no more movements. There's going to be no more sin. There's going to be no more homosexuality. Right? There's going to be no more things that defile. God's going God's to put that all down because Satan's going to be bound. And for a thousand years, he's just going to flat out reign. Right? But what's crazy is at the end of that, He's going to lose Satan back up, and people are still going to betray the Lord Jesus Christ. It's absolutely insane, right? But the cool part about that is there's one more enemy after that thousand years, right, that has to be defeated. What's the last enemy? Death, right? That's the last enemy that has to be destroyed. It's just absolutely amazing. I'll leave you, I'll leave you, um, oh man, I'll leave you with this. Let's just go back to Matthew 17, and let's just close her out here. Matthew 17. Verse 1, we already talked about how Peter, right? They, they look up, they see the transfigured Christ, they see Moses and Elias. Then he answered Peter and said unto Jesus in verse 4, Lord, it is good for us to be here. Good job, Peter. It's really good, right? <laughs> it's good for us to be here, Lord. If thou wilt, let us make here three tabernacles, one for thee and one for Moses and one for Elias. Now, Peter gets a lot of flack for this. Right? Oh, Peter, you don't understand. Jesus is the one you got to focus on. Peter was not wrong when he said this. Right? What he's talking about is the Feast of Tabernacles. The Jews, it was the last of their annual feasts, and they would have this Feast of the Tabernacles where they would reminisce on, on the exodus out of Egypt. Right? And it, and it was the establishment of the Jews finally going into the promised land under the Messiah. So Peter looks up after he's been sleeping, and he's like, oh, we need to have the Feast of the, the Tabernacles because Christ... The kingdom's happening now. Wake up, John. Look, the kingdom's happening, right? And so he wasn't wrong in his assessment, right? But God 
put it to rest real quick. If you keep on reading here, in verse 5, While he yet spake, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and behold, a voice out of the cloud which said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased, hear ye him. And when the disciples heard it, they fell on their face and were sore afraid. And Jesus came and touched them. That's awesome. They're sore afraid. Jesus walks up to them and he touches them, right? And he says, Arise and be not afraid. And when they had lifted their eyes, they saw no man save Jesus only. And as they came down from the mountain, Jesus charged them, saying, Tell the vision to no man until the Son of Man be risen again from the dead. Why? Because Jesus was like, Look, I gave this vision to you, right? To him that hath, more shall be given. Right? You guys have received this message. I'm going to show you the revelation of this kingdom, right? But to the rest of the nation of Israel, right? Although I possess the nature of this kingdom, right? They don't recognize me as such. So I'm not going to give it at this time, right? It's so cool. If you'll, if you'll turn, we'll, uh, we'll close here. I promise. Second Peter, Peter actually talks about this. It's awesome. In Second Peter chapter 2, if you want to turn there in closing, Second Peter chapter 2. One, excuse me, Second Peter chapter 1, in verse 15, 2 Peter 1, 15. This is Peter just reminiscing about Matthew 17. He says, Moreover, I will endeavor that ye may be able after my decease to have these things always in remembrance. For we have not followed cunningly devised fables when we made known unto you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, who were eyewitnesses of his majesty. Right when Peter would talk to the Jews that didn't see Christ transfigured, he's like, listen, I'm not lying. Right, I saw the actual power of this kingdom. For he received from God the Father honor and glory when there came such a voice to him. See, he's talking about it. Um, from the excellent glory, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. In this voice which came from heaven, we heard when we were with him in the what? The holy mount, right? He's like, we actually got to be part of a sneak peek of this kingdom in the holy mount. We have also, now listen to what he says, we have also a more sure word of prophecy, whereunto ye do well that ye take heed, as unto a light that shineth in a dark place, until the day dawn and the day star arise in your hearts, knowing this first, that no prophecy of the scripture is of any private interpretation. For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. Peter's like, guys, I know he ain't come back yet, right? But let me tell you what, when God prophesies something, it comes to pass. I've seen it, and it's coming back, right? As Christians, for a long time, we kind of got away from talking about the second coming of Christ. Paul talked about it all the time. Paul thought it was going to happen in his day, right? Peter talked about it all the time. Peter thought it was going to happen in his day. Imagine what we would be like if we actually lived like Christ could come back at any moment, right? Like these things would actually come to fruition. Peter said, seeing that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of person? should we be, right? Just an encouragement there. Dear Heavenly Father, just thank you so much for your word. Thank you so much for everything, God, that you give us. Thank you for, as Gentiles, Lord, Jerusalem is thousands of miles away, and we are sitting in a church in Hazlitt, Michigan, just relishing in the glories that we one day shall be able to take part of because of your grace. Please just help us to study, God. Teach us to number our days that we may apply our hearts to wisdom, and please help us to all to always be working and telling others about Jesus Christ. We praise you and thank you in Jesus' name.